Who said it? We'll start over again so some of you didn't hear me. Where do you ask, you ask any Canadian where to go get coffee and they will tell you Tim Hortons. It's a quintessential Canadian experience for over 50 years now it's been that. Uh, when Kirsten and I took our honeymoon up in Canada, it was one of the things that we wanted to experience. Tim Hortons donuts and the coffee. It's, uh, it's somebody who comes to the United States might want to experience Waffle House, or they, you might say, if you come to St. Louis, we want you to have the toasted ravs and the Provel cheese on the Emo's pizza and, what, and pork steak. I didn't know pork steak wasn't a thing everywhere, but it isn't apparently. And the same way, Tim Hortons, Canada, it's this is great thing. Um, it's more than just the donuts. It is more than just coffee for Canadians. It's the quintessential Canadian patriotic experience. It reminds them of all the things that they like about their country. It's just reminiscent of so many good things. There's a commercial for Hortons a while back where it was Canadian hockey parents dropping their kids off and getting a double-double to drink. And it's just that whole experience goes up and into it. And it's culture, it's tradition, it's heritage. We get that. We just have different things that are for that. Uh, So Hortons did what a lot of other companies have done. They looked at what they were doing and said, we can do this better. They also looked at Starbucks and said, man, they are just killing it. And so they said, maybe we need to like look at what they've done and see if we can adopt some of that. Lots of places did. I'm happy for what Starbucks has done. Coffee all over the place has gotten better. Am I right? You can go to QT and get good coffee. You can go to McDonald's and get good coffee now because everybody was copying Starbucks doing coffee. We need to do our coffee. Uh, Dunkin' Donuts, still hot garbage water. I'm sorry, but truth needs to be told. But most places you can go get a good cup of coffee now. Horton said, well, we need to do that. The problem that they their leadership team did, though, is they imitated too much of Starbucks. They imitated the, the urban vibe of the coffee shop. They imitated the frou-frou drinks and the frappuccinos and the lattes. So when you now, as a Canadian, went into Horton's, it took too long to get your drink, and they were neglecting the regular coffee pots. And the coffee was getting old and scorched. So at that point, Canadians are going, you've taken everything away from me that I like about my Horton's donut experience and it's just like Starbucks, I might as well go to McDonald's and get my coffee now, which they did, and Horton's sales suffered because they lost their focus on what it was that truly made them successful. And they're not the only company that's done that. There have been other companies that have experienced something like this. Uh, What is Smith & Wesson known for? Guns! Did you know that they also make mountain bikes? I didn't either. Why would they do that? But they did. So there's another example here. Colgate, what are they known for? Toothpaste and lasagna. They, they, made, they tried a line of frozen foods, garlicky with a hint of mint. Some of you, this is, you're going to have to be older to remember this. Anybody remember Clairol Touch of Yogurt shampoo? Man, I, it was so confusing. It looks, it, it's, it's for shampoo, but it looks like something you should eat. And speaking of this, I have no idea why watermelon Oreos needed to be a thing. You already had chocolate. You were already on the bag, on the base. Just stay there. This is... Ill, Ill thought out. And then hear this. How about Harley Davidson? You have to be older to remember this. They branched out into wine coolers. Okay, those of you who are children of the 80s, let's just leave that to Bartles and James. We thank you for your support. Nobody remembers that? Bartles and James? You just don't want to admit it in church. <laughs> Frito-Lay. They've got Doritos. They've got Cheetos. They decided to branch out into Cheetos lip balm. Again, confusing. It, it's a lip balm, but it feels like it should be eating this. It doesn't taste good, just to, to full disclosure. How about Google Glass? This is what you think you look like wearing it, and this is what you actually look like. Come on, Google. Just stick to what you know. Stay in your lane. Just sell my information. That's all you need to do. That's your business model. It works for you. Speaking of things nobody ever asked for, with Stranger Things, new Coke is back. 
Anybody like new Coke? It is back if you want to try it, if you missed it the first time around. This, there you go. Hindsight's 2020, but there are a lot of companies who said, we need to branch out, we could be doing better. And they went into areas that were outside of their core focus. They lost focus, they lost business as a result. Stick with what you know, stick with what you're good at, stick with what you've made your company into out of. And they, they get off brand, they get distracted. Do you think that ever happens to people? Do you ever get distracted? Do you ever lose focus on the most important things in your life, the things that only you can do in your life that God made you to do, the things that are most important to you, family, friends, your career? You ever thought about even what it is that's most important to you? It's hard to lose focus on it if you don't even know what it is. Like you could be accidentally just killing it, and then all of a sudden you're not, and you don't know why. It's because you don't really know what you're good at. It's time to maybe think about that. Do you ever think, like, I wish I could go back to my younger self and tell my younger self to be a little more focused? You want to go to your younger self and say, don't spend that. Put it in a savings account. Invest it in an Apple. Do something with it. Just, do you ever go back to your younger self and say, you need to pay more attention in this class because it really is going to matter in your life. You need to pay more attention to these friends because friends aren't a dime a dozen. And the older you get, the harder it is. So you need to really pay more attention to that. You need to pay more attention to your family because it's really, they're the ones who are going to stick with you through everything. So there's, you know, maybe you would think, I wish I could go back and tell my younger self, think more about your faith in God because that really is going to be foundational and you're going to maybe in the future regret some things that you would have missed if you had just paid more attention to God's will for your life. You just, I think that all of us would admit that our lives would be better, less stressed, and happier if we could just be more focused on the truly important things and the right things and the best things for us. And, and that's the upside. And then what's the downside of living a life that lacks focus? that lacks direction. One life coach put it this way. He said the alternative to focus is doing a whole lot of everything, jumping from one task to another without ever getting a whole lot done. Unfocused people spend their time doing anything but the important stuff. Their choice is often dictated by urgency or other people's priorities or the person who complains the most or pushes the hardest, whatever feels easiest in the moment, whatever makes you feel busiest. Anybody relate to that? I'm a person who can lack focus, and I can relate to all of this. You ever get to the end of a day and think, what did I actually do today? I mean, I was busy, and I'm tired, but where did the day go? You ever get to the end of a week, end of a season of your life, and you're like, I, I'm not really sure that I've got anything of substance that I can point to and go, that was worth the time and the energy and the money that I spent. Did I waste my time? Today, our, in our Believe series, we're talking about these practices that are just so practical and helping us take not just biblical knowledge and just knowing stuff, but how do we translate that into biblical character? Today, the practice is being single-minded, uh, focused. And uh, here it is right here, where I'm just really trying to teach us and lead us and lead myself today is to, to say, with God's help, can I figure out what's most important? Can I really put most of my energy and effort and time into making that the priority of my life? And that's the big idea for today. If you want to write this down, the key idea is I will focus on God and his priorities for my life. And the problem is, really, the life comes at us fast, and you've like got to make split-second decisions about whether you're going to do this or do that or whether it's going to spend. And, you know, you've you got demands on your time, soccer practice and every other practice to get to. You've got distractions pulling on your attention. Like, that video game is not going to play itself till 4.30 in the morning. 
You've got these things that are just demanding your attention, and you've got scary potential things to worry about. If you watch the news, it's just... I finally realized that that dun 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 noise that they make on all the news channels doesn't mean anything. My, my heart rate would elevate, and I just realized, oh, it, it means absolutely nothing. But there's so many things out there that make us stressed. And, and there's, like, health concerns. And sorry to bring this up because it is the summer, but maybe you worry about your grades and getting into the right school, and you worry about anybody could ever notice me. All these things, and they just pull. I was talking to Dave Reed, one of the members here, and he was telling me about a pilot friend of his who actually flew commercially. And he was supposed to fly for a week at a time, get out there at the end of the week, just fly home, be with his family. Invariably, at the end of his first week, the airline would say, hey, could you take one more leg, just go ahead and fly this. And it would be like the end of that week, so two weeks away, and he's halfway around the globe, and he hasn't been with his family, and he hasn't seen him, and he finally just stepped away from that whole career and quit. And he said, I don't want to miss my family while I'm flying at 35,000 feet. I respect that. It's a person who figured out what was most important and got focused on it. So today, the key question is very practical. How do I keep my focus on Jesus? And I would just add to that, how do I keep my focus on the most important things, including Jesus, amidst all the distractions of life? I think that's something that we all would like to talk about and learn from Jesus. I would invite you to take a Bible. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. I want to show you a true story from Jesus' life. And it literally and figuratively teaches us how to focus on the right things. And uh, I found this to be really helpful. Jesus teaches us so many things about life. That's why we follow him. That's why we trust him here. That's why we try to get people connected to God through Jesus. It's the only way that life works. He knows. He's the wisest person who ever lived. So let's watch this and see what happens. So I'm in Matthew chapter 14, one of the four gospels that talks about Jesus' life and ministry and teaching. And we're going to go down to verse uh, 22. It says, immediately after this... And you notice it's italicized, uh, because I want to get back to what this was, but we're not going to talk about it. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted his disciples, uh, I'm sorry, I'm actually, yep, I'm on the right place. For a second, I just had a, am I in the right place? Yeah. All right, so immediately after this, Jesus insisted his disciples get back in the boat, cross to the other side of the lake, while he sent the people home. And after sending them home, he went up into the hills to pray by himself. And night fell while he was there alone. I don't know if you, have you ever done that before? Stayed out so late that it actually got dark before you got back to where you were going? I don't know if you've ever done it. It's uh, very, I highly recommend it. Just go out and hike somewhere so far that you can't get back to your car before it gets dark. Next time you're out camping, just hike down a trail. Once you get past the fear that you're going to get eaten by a zombie or an axe murderer named Bubba, or, you know, a wild animal, it's actually an amazing experience. Here, here's the safety net. Just go out on your back deck tonight when the sun's going down. Just stay there. <laughs> it's amazing because the sounds change. The birds give way to the crickets and the frogs. It gets cooler relatively in June and July, but uh, the smells change. Obviously, it gets darker and everything looks different. Uh, it is fantastic, which is why I think Jesus did this. He sent the disciples out, and he just said, get away, because I need to get away. You go on down to verse 24. So Jesus is up in the mountains in the dark. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land on the lake, for a strong wind had risen. They were fighting heavy waves. And about three in the morning, 
Jesus came toward them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. And in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. Which, this is just a miracle. Let's just stop and acknowledge this. This sounds a little crazy. It actually happened. Defies the laws of physics as we understand them. Surface tension, buoyancy, gravity, displacement, all of that out the window. Jesus is walking on top of water. I would love to know the science behind that. I don't know if Jesus was harnessing some energy transfer that we don't know about. Just a legit miracle. This isn't, you know, with miracles, we overuse that word. You should reserve miracle for things that are absolutely contrary to the way that we know the world works. This shouldn't be happening, and it was. And he's walking across water, and uh, I... I kind of envisioned the scene because the, the waves were so high. These guys knew what they were doing in this boat, but uh, there must have been some kind of a storm going on. I don't know if the lightning struck and the guys in the boat, they're already freaked out because they're fighting this storm. And then to see a person walking where a person shouldn't be walking, I don't know if ghosts are really a thing or not. I'm kind of curious about it, and I would love to have that discussion with you if you think that there are. We know from this the disciples at least believed that there was such a thing as ghosts. Because when they saw Jesus, they thought he was the ghost. The lightning strikes, there's somebody out there, they start screaming, and they start saying this. Uh, this shows you how mature Jesus is, too, because I would have messed with him a little bit. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> right? He didn't, which is the mature thing to do, because these guys were not pansies, they weren't wimps. If they were afraid they were going to die, there was a good, there's a reason why there are so many ships on the bottom of the ocean dating back to two, 3,000 years ago. People frequently died in storms. This was one of those storms, and Jesus is walking by. And uh, so look at verse 27. Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I'm here. It's all good. I'm here. And Peter called out to him. He's in the boat. Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, said Jesus. Get on out of that boat. Come on, big guy. Let's go. You ever say something and then wonder why you said it as soon as you said it? Yeah, like the words come out of your mouth and you're like, uh, can I get that back? I don't think Peter was there at all. Like I, he was so elated that he wasn't going to die and Jesus was there. And like, look what he's doing. I really think that it didn't occur to him that he was doing anything extraordinary. He got out of the boat and started walking toward Jesus. And I want you to pause because you may or may not be familiar with this account. You may know what happens eventually. But just pause for a moment and soak in the awesomeness that the, only the second person in all of human history is walking on top of water. He actually did it. How cool was that? So look at verse 30, though. So Peter went out of the, over the side of the boat. He started walking on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith. Jesus said, why, why'd you doubt me? And then uh, Jesus, uh, they stopped, and they climbed back in the boat, and the wind stopped, and the disciples worshipped him, and you really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. And uh, I, I just want to stop there, because again, this is just me, this is my opinion, I don't think that Jesus was mad at Peter when he said, where's your faith? Why are you, why are you doing this? Why, what's going on here? I see Jesus as actually proud of him. Again, out of all the people in the boat, one of them jumped out and walked across the water to Jesus. Did he sink eventually? Yeah. Did you ever fall when you were learning how to walk? I know you don't remember it. Have you, you know, you've seen little kids. Do, do you give your kid a spanking when they try to start walking and they don't get it right? I don't think Jesus was scolding him. I think he was like, come on, dude, you were this close. You had it. You were doing so good. It was an encouraging kind of like, 
like I'm seeing my disciples take their first steps of faith. They're starting to realize the potential that they have when they look to me and they trust me. Now, why did Peter sink? It actually says there, I don't know if you noticed that, he, he took his eyes off Jesus and he started looking at the wind and the waves around him. And that's when we get into trouble. When we take our eyes off of Jesus and we focus on the circumstances of our lives, that's when you're walking off a short pier with a long walk and concrete shoes on. You're going to sink in your life just like he did. The secret is to look to Jesus first and always. The, the key idea, you know, we said, all right, I look to God and his priorities for my life. You keep your, and so that's why I said literally and figuratively, Jesus is going to show us what to do. We need to keep our eyes on him. And I want to do just for a moment, just look at Jesus, the one who did not sink, the one who, as he was walking across the lake, fully intending to go on by those guys, I think, he walked in, in, into the boat. How did he do that, other than being the son of God and miraculously able to do that? Well, I think that this goes back to when I was talking about the verse that we I said after, immediately after this, Jesus told the disciples to get in the boat. So what had been going on there, if you go back earlier in Matthew 14, it says that Jesus had been in a place where his disciples rejoined him, and then he immediately got news that his cousin John the Baptist had been executed in prison by Herod. And it was in that moment that Jesus said to his disciples who just come back from a missions trip, let's get in a boat, we're going to go to the other side of the lake, I need a day off. The people saw where they were going and figured out where they were going and walked around the lake and met them on the other side. So when Jesus, who's grieving the loss of his family member, who's thinking through all of these things, sees these people coming, he doesn't go, oh great, can I not get a moment of rest? What do I have to do? Do I have to go to the bathroom to get away from your people? Jesus didn't do that. He taught them all day. He fed them. That's part of this as well. And then that evening after this, he said, okay, now I've reached my limit. I need you guys to get in the boat and go back. I need you people to go home. It's getting dark. And that's when Jesus went up into the mountains to pray all night. This is how Jesus was able to do what he did. He not only sets us an example to follow, he shows us it can be done. He went into the mountain to pray. He was human. Do you not think there was a little bit of something in his mind that was thinking about revenge fantasies? I could just get a bunch of people. We can go down and, and just wipe everybody out. And I will show them what happens when you mess with my family. Do you not think that there was a little bit of him that just saw the popularity he had with thousands of people and thought about what it would be like to just go ahead and just say, I'm in, just go ahead and make me king? He had to get up into the mountains to pray and to get refocused on the things that were most important. He sought his power from God, his Father, and that's exactly what we're supposed to do. The crazier things get in your life, the more you need to get right in there in a quiet place and get to God and get to Jesus, ask for his direction, ask for his help, ask for his grace to get you through it, ask for his priorities for your life, because on our own, we're going to mess this up. And Jesus would often teach about this too. This wasn't just something that he um, just did once. Like if you were to go back in Matthew chapter 6, a little bit earlier from this, uh, there's this huge section where Jesus is teaching and he's talking a lot about worry, which is something I'm so glad he talked about because I find myself worrying about things I don't even need to worry about. Most of the things that we worry about don't even happen, right? And Jesus says, you don't need to worry about like, what are we going to eat? 
where are we going to get enough money for the kids' clothes? And what do we, you know, all, all these things that we worry about. He says, you don't need to worry about them. Here's what you need to do. Verse 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and God will give you everything you need. Seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. Everything else will be added to you. Focus on God first, and then everything else will fall into place. Is that easy for you? Just be honest. Give me a little yes or a no. It's not easy for me. It really isn't. A single-minded focus on God is something I have to work at. So take that for what it is. We shouldn't compare our lives to each other, but you can at least compare yourself. I'm better than my pastor, or at least I'm on the same level as my pastor. Uh, I just, I'm not saying that, it's, that you should completely ignore your problems in your life. Problems that go away on their own can come back on their own. You ought to figure them out. I'm just saying don't do it alone. If there's things that are not working in your life, pay attention to that pain, but then go to Jesus and ask him what to do with it. Ask him what should be getting the bulk of your attention. Stay focused on Jesus no matter what. It's a great verse in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, this is, just listen to this. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And I love this imagery. It's like that our life is like a race And we don't know where the finish line is, most of us, but we do know who's waiting for us at the finish line. It's Jesus, and we just, we live our life, whether you're 12 or 22 or 72, whatever, by just continuing to focus on him. And I'm telling you this, as much as I was saying, we don't want to compare ourselves to each other, there's a really good reason for that. The life that God gave you is different than the life he gave me. He gave you different abilities and resources to work with, and you have maybe a higher or lower energy level, and all of those things come together to say, God's given you a different purpose than me, so don't compare your race to my race, and don't judge other people. You have no idea what they're going through, but we all look to the same finish line. We all look to Jesus I, I love this thing. Um, I think it was Bob Shannon said this. You take five fingers and he says, this is how you put Jesus first in your life. Uh, you give God the first hour of every day. Just make sure when you wake up, pray and read your Bible. You give God the first day of every week like you are doing. You give God the first tenth of every dollar. You express your total dependence on him that I trust you, God, that I'm gonna give you an offering. Uh, you give him the first consideration in any decision. And then you give him the first place in your heart. That's just what it looks like to focus on him. The Apostle Paul is using the same running imagery. I really like this. And he was talking to some friends. This is in the Bible in Philippians. He said this about himself. Dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved perfection, but I do focus on one thing, forgetting what's in my past, looking forward to what lies ahead of me. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ is calling us. It's like a sprinter. You just, you look right at the finish line. If you notice the guys who win, the, the gals who win, they're not looking around to see where everybody else is at unless it's like when they're coming across them. They're fully focused on diving across that line first. And that's like, it's just another image maybe to tuck away in your mind. As a Christian, I'm running a race and I need to stay focused on Jesus and not all the other things that are going on around me. Uh, I, I don't know that life is a sprint, really. It's more like a marathon did my first half marathon last fall. My only goal was to finish and not embarrass myself. And I did that. I don't know if I embarrassed myself or not, but I did finish. It's funny because when I do like that race, there was a moment where I was about a half mile from the finish line and we had to turn right down in Old Town St. Charles to get to the finish line. Or if you're going to do the full marathon, you went straight. And there was a woman in front of me. And as I got to the turnoff, she went straight. And here's literally my thought was, 
I don't think I can make it a half mile to the finish line. I have no idea how anybody can go another and do what we've just done, another 13 miles and go. As I was running toward that finish line, all I could see was the finish line. I've seen pictures, and there are things on the side. If you were there and cheering for me, I apologize that I didn't see you or acknowledge you. I literally did not see anything. I think it was like coming down to a little narrow dot at that point. But uh, like later, I would look at pictures and go, I had no idea there was a cow standing there on the side. <laughs> I didn't even see it. There was a building there? Where did that come from? It's, it's, you just only have that eyes for that one thing. That's the image I want you to walk out of here with. You're so fixated on Jesus. You don't even, it, it's not that you just are irresponsible. It's just that he is such a high priority in your life. Everything else fades by comparison. I don't know where things are for you right now. Maybe life is so difficult for right now, you don't even know that there is a finish line. You just, you believe it's there, but you can't see it. Maybe for you, it's just all these things that are worrying you and distracting you and pulling. Maybe it's just you're so busy and there's some things you need to start saying no to. Maybe there's some things that you've set as the wrong priority and you need to readjust and you need to make some hard decisions and hard calls and say, we're not doing this anymore so that we can start doing this we're going to start saying no to other things so that we can make God first priority, so that we can make it to Sunday mornings, so that we can make it to group, so that we can make uh, family more important than it has been. I, I want you to do the hard work of wrestling through this, of what it looks like to have that singular focus on God and what he wants for your life. Because as I said, I don't know what it is for you. We can work on it. I'd love to talk with you about it if you want to. But in the end, it's between you and God, and he knows what's best for you. And I guarantee you, if you will have that conversation and be honest with him in prayer, he'll direct your path. And if you say to him, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life, he will accept you. So I'm going to tell you one more thing before I pray for us. We will be having a baptism weekend next weekend. And that literally is the, the thing that you can do to say, Jesus is Lord of my life. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is my Lord, my leader. And you can illustrate it by going under the water and submitting your life completely to him. And if that's a step you're ready for, we'll do that any Sunday, but we're just kind of making it easier next Sunday. If you're uh, interested in that, there's some videos that we've been showing and there's some stuff on our website you can look at. Maybe you want to talk to somebody, we'll be available after services to talk about that. Uh, if you are thinking and you're, you are ready to be baptized next weekend, immersed, if you would just write it on a connect card and leave it in that basket on your way out or just tell somebody so that we know to be ready for you, I think there's some people already ready to do that and you can be one more. Uh, in the end though, wherever you are at, God is calling on you to take another step closer to him. Let's talk to him right now about that. Will you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you that you call to us and you reach out to us and you love us and you forgive us when we fail and, and you're so encouraging. You want us to get this right. You want us to see the health that can come into our lives when you are first place. Jesus, thank you for giving your life to make this a possibility. Will you teach us to do things that we never thought we could do on our own, to have that focus on you? I pray for you just to... Take this church and make us all together more than we would have been on our own. And I pray this in Jesus' name.